Welcome to Make Things That Matter, the podcast where we explore impactful products and the cultures that create them. I'm your host, Andrew Scottsko, and if I'm doing my job well, each episode of this show will help you to do meaningful work, make things that make things better, and have a great experience doing it. My guest in this episode is Courtney Bigany. Courtney is the director of people science at 15.5 and the creator of Positive Product Design, which is a methodology to align tech products with the latest science of human flourishing. She studied with the father of positive psychology himself, Martin Seligman, and holds a master's of applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. She was named a 2019 workforce game changer by workforce magazine and has contributed pieces featured in forbes and huffington post now i have been waiting eagerly for months to release this episode and i am so excited to finally bring it to you i feel like this is one of those episodes that really combines everything that is central to this show and i think you're really going to enjoy it in this conversation courtney and i go deep on positive product design which was just released into the world officially and was also named a finalist in fast company's 2021 world changing ideas in the wellness category in addition to that we go deep on positive psychology and how to use it as a foundation to build a fulfilling career for yourself. We talk about how to craft your work around your values, your passions, and your interests. And we also geek out on a bunch of books that you are definitely going to want to add to your reading list. So without any further ado, please enjoy the one and only Courtney Bigany. Courtney, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. As I said to you right before we hit record, this conversation is one that I've been very excited about for several months. I think it's probably the ultimate fusion of some of my giant nerd brain topics uh, between positive psychology and product development. And I think we're going to have a very fun conversation. So I'm thrilled that you're here. Thank you for being here. I thought it might be fun to start a little bit more on the personal side because we're going to go into all the things about positive psychology and how we make that real through products. When I meet somebody who's so engaged in what they do, like you are, I love to hear how that happened. And I, I often find that there's like a moment where it clicked for somebody. And I'm curious if that's true for you. Yes. Well, I have done one thing consistently throughout my entire career, which is breaking all the rules. Um, Excellent. Well played. <laughs> and so I've written all of my job descriptions um, ever since I've joined the workforce. And my journey really started actually in college when I had the opportunity to write a thesis on something that was totally of my own, something that I was totally interested in myself. And I wrote it on authenticity at work and how um, who you are is interrelated with what you do, this relationship between work and identity, really interested. And we see uh, musicians and artists, they blur the lines between, you know, their self and their work. And, and I was asking, how can we bring this into the workplace, like in the business setting, when this is how yeah. you spend the majority of your life? So that's how it started. And I studied yoga instructors. And then I became a yoga instructor myself. And I was really interested in transforming the workplace. And going from yoga instructor into tech was a really interesting transition and hard. How does that influence the way you see things in tech now? Because most people... I mean, I've been in tech a long time and most people don't have that background. Right. We're seeing a shift in businesses towards a more mindful and conscious approach. Um, you see this as Asana at Asana who have uh, mindfulness as a business model and are really interested in bringing those elements into the workplace. So yeah, I was interested in transforming the world of work. So I started in HR um, and there's a lot of admin work there. And as a female mm. in tech, I had a no admin work rule from the start. So saying no admin work going into HR was was quite <laughs> uh 
a thing. But what it helped me do was really identify how I could have a strategic impact on the organization. So I started out as a generalist and then uh, job crafted a role as an employee success researcher. So really looking at the latest science to design leading people programs, like onboarding, recognition. Um, and then I met David Hassel at a conference and he saw what I did. And I have this website called the Deep Feedback Movement that really had my purpose statement on it, uh, which is people programs backed by social science research, a strategic advantage for startups. And he was like, come, come work at 15.5 and, and do this with our product. Mm, there we go. Yeah. I remember I was looking at the deep feedback movement site the other day and I was like, oh yeah, this, this kind of makes sense for, for Courtney. I love that. So one of the things you just said that I think is really interesting and I'd love you to unpack it a little bit is job crafting. So can you just, for people who aren't familiar with that term, what is that and how do you do it? Job crafting is aligning your role to your strengths and your passions and your values. So most companies try to slot people into a job description. Um, and this really gives control to the actual employee to make their role more employee-centric. So more about them. And it's an incredible practice. And it's something that we're building into our product. Um, at 15.5, it's a workplace technology startup. And we're all about creating amazing workplaces and really increasing engagement and performance by helping people be their best selves. Um, and we know in the workplace, if you had one motivational bullet, make it about the work. Like it's really about the work people do. Yes, it's about your manager, it's about the environment, um, but the work that people do on a day to day basis is so, so important. And job crafting really gives employees uh, the control to job craft and create their ideal role. It's been a while since I looked at job crafting, but if I'm remembering, there's kind of like, th I think there's like three pillars to it. Like one is, one is like procedural, I think, one is cognitive, and one is relational. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And there's um, this one is really more task oriented. So we're really okay. focusing on the task and helping people identify what they do best. A lot of people don't know what they want to do in their career. Um, mm. And it's really a process of self-discovery. And the issue in organizations is that you immediately go into the self-development thing. It's like, how, did, how do you get up the career ladder? It's like, pause. Like before self-development, we need to do the self-discovery work. Um, mm. So if we can have people do this upfront work and really have a scientific understanding of their top strengths, their values, their passions, and then bringing that data into their role so they can align what they do best with the company mission. Like that's the ideal. There's so many like mm. complex, you know, growth and development programs. And I like to keep it really simple and it's understand what makes you come alive and channel that aliveness productively towards the company mission and vision. And that's how you create a win-win. It sounds really great. I think most everybody listening to this would be like, yes, please, I'll take some of that. How does somebody go about this? If, if you know, for example, they don't work in an environment like 15.5 that is so well-structured to support this, I think most people I talk to are, unfortunately, they're kind of going it alone on this journey. And I think it's hard for people. Yep. And I'm going to bring this to women at work. Great. Because I've, I've gone through this journey. And I first want to note, and this is based off of uh, leading research on grit, how important mm -hmm. it is for women and for everyone to place themselves in an environment that intentionally sets them up for success. So with this past year and everything that's been going on, we are in this like really interesting upheaval. Like everything is kind of suspended. Um, and mm -hmm. I think women, you know, especially so many are leaving the workforce and so many people, a lot of really great people are out of work right now just because of everything that's happened. So yeah. there's this really 
amazing opportunity for people to intentionally place themselves in really positive environments that set themselves up for success. So that's what I would say first, that you have the control. And I would say any leader recommended by Diana Chapman, who's the founder of Conscious Leadership, she wrote Conscious Leadership, um, Mm -hmm. to place yourves in environments um, with men and women leaders who are conscious and positive. Um, And these are leaders who operate with power with structures, not power over structures, who intentionally create the conditions for your success, um, who are integrated in their masculine and feminine, you know, who operate with equal parts, head and heart. Go find those leaders um, and go interview with them. Ditch company name. Go interview the leaders. The organization is going to be a reflection of those people. So put yourself in that environment and... Um, And then job craft your role. And if you don't do that, job crafting still puts a lot of control and agency in the employee's hands. And there's so much self-work that people can do first um, before bringing it to their company. And job crafting is really about putting the control back into the employee. So you can do so much work. And again, we're building this out into our product since it's so important. We want it to spread at scale and we want to spread science at scale. Uh, but really high level, I would say, have a radical understanding of your top strengths. So take tests like Gallup and VIA. Those are the top two strengths tests recommended by science. Gather strength stories from other people about who you are when you're at your best because we know that self-reflection is limited. We need to hear stories from other people um, and reflect on your values, your passions, your interests, and create this really amazing strengths-based summary of who you are when you're at your best that you can then bring to your role. And you have this amazing you know, pot of gold um, that you can bring with you and then use to create this win-win with the business. Yeah, I love that. I'm so glad you brought up the... I didn't know it was called VIA. I always referred to it as the VIA character strengths, um, which comes out of uh, UPenn, where, where you went to school for your master's. And I was really curious. That's an amazing resource for people. The two that you mentioned that I find to be a little more slippery are... in this might sound weird, is our, our values and passions. I find that in my conversations with people, those are actually the ones they have the hardest time kind of getting a handle on. When you see somebody in that situation, how do you coach them through that? Yeah. In app, we are recommending resources to people so they can do this really easily. Um, so when it comes to behavior change and positive behavior change, ease is the greatest predictor. So we need to make this, which is basically vitamin-enriched software. It's positive products and what we do. It's the new organic label for technology. So we need to make it really easy for people to do really healthy, amazing things through tech. Um, and so we looked at all of these thought leaders, all these academics, a lot of the top TED talkers are, are academics um, from the field of positive psychology. And Brene Brown has this really amazing value sheet that you can look at. It's on her website. So we just say, go there, like scroll through her value sheet to, to help identify your, your top values. And when it comes to passions, these are things you do outside of work and at work. Um, so to help identify what fuels them. Like for me, it's reading. I basically get to read for a living. And so I job crafted that into my role. Awesome. No, thank you for, for explaining that. It's something that I think we all can constantly you know, learn more about and, and have more satisfaction. Because like you said, you know, we spend all of our, not all, but a huge amount of our time at work. So I think that's a perfect pivot point into talking about positive product design. That sentence had way too many Ps in it. Let's just start really high level. Positive product design. I love what you just said about the organic label for technology. This is a new thing you're bringing into the world. What is it for someone who's not familiar? 
Positive product design is a new method for creating positive technology. And we focus on not only protecting human vulnerability, but also helping people realize their full potential. So in the larger global conversation, you know, thanks to the Center for Humane Technology, Tristan Harris, we're doing a really amazing job um, about calling out the problem, the problem of negative tech, which is huge. Um, mm-hmm. And it's because of that contrast, actually, that I've been able to develop this new method for creating positive technology. And I see a lot of people hinting at the solution, but I don't know if people have totally landed on the solution. And my hope is that positive product design can really you know, hit the nail on the head and create measurable positive change. For sure. Yeah. When we were, we were introduced by a previous guest, Diane Frommelt, who's the chief product officer at 15.5. By the way, for the listener, we will link to all these episodes and resources. This will all be in the show notes. But when she was, when she introduced us and I, and I got a chance to check out positive product design, I was like, Oh yeah, this is exactly what we've been speaking to in this show. So for the listener who's been on this journey, this is like the resource I am most excited about that I've come across at least in six months. I mean, we're going to go deep on all this, but when you say the word positive technology or the phrase positive technology, what does that mean to you? Most technology right now, again, is focused on protecting human vulnerabilities, which is great. It's a really important step in, in, in the direction and, and it's reducing notifications, um, you know, reducing information overload. So that's a really big part of it. And part of positive product design is an invite only collective of, of tech companies who are already doing this and they're publicly pledging, um, to protecting human vul- vulnerabilities. So to building technology, reducing notification and information overload. Uh, maximizing the quality of screen time, not the quantity, accounting for and reducing human bias, um, and thinking through the potential negative impact of their product features. So that's one piece. That's minimizing harm. But we mm-hmm. also need to maximize good. So how mm-hmm. do we do that? And step one is measurement, putting on my scientist hat on. And again, I'm not a scientist. Director of People Science at 15.5 studied with Martin Seligman, who's the father of positive psychology, but I have a master's, not a PhD. And the helping people reach their full potential piece Step one is measurement, measuring the psychological impact of the product feature. Mm. Uh, The second is aligning technology to the latest science of thriving. The third piece is encouraging healthy product use. Um, And then the fourth piece is promoting personal choice, agency, and control. So those are the pillars of positive product design and how you not only minimize harm, but maximize the good of your product. I, I love everything you just said because it's it's kind of core. Literally, the that's I'm a little bit flabbergasted right now because that's like exactly why I started this show <laughs> was to see the world be full of more things like that. Um, and and as came up in in the conversation I did with David Dylan Thomas about design ethics, really, it's this idea of going from less bad to more good, which is actually a just a different standard. It's a different north star. Let's put it that way. And so I'm really curious, how do you actually? do that? Because I know you've all been incubating this within 15.5 and, and living it. So I'm so excited for the guide that's going to come out and then we'll link to all this on the, the show notes. But how does one do this? So I want to start by clarifying one point. So there's this idea called meliorism, which is the belief that you can change the world through intentional human effort. And there's this idea of constructive meliorism, which is minimizing harm, or mitigative meliorism, which is minimizing harm, and then constructive, which is maximizing good. And that's why we need both of those. Yeah. And so again, we start with measurement. So we worked with Scott Barry Kaufman, who's the leading researcher on human intelligence, creativity, self-actualization to create the most complete measure of human potential. And he has an amazing story. Um, he's basically Maslow reincarnated. He, yep. <laughs> yeah, he's incredible. Big shout out to his book, Transcend. Just finished it. It's amazing. Everyone go read it. Yep. 
it's amazing. And um, basically, Maslow died at the age of 62 when he was you know, jogging by the side of his pool before he was able to finish his theory of self-actualization. And Scott found his manuscripts and finished mm. his latest theory. So uh, positive technology is really aligned to the latest science of self-actualization. And that's not just looking at positive psychology. It's humanistic psychology. It's transpersonal psychology, any field that promotes life above neutral. And so we created the most complete measure of human potential, looking at security needs and growth needs. Most companies that are in the positive technology space look at one or two constructs, um, but we wanted to create the most complete measure. So we're looking at health and vitality, psychological safety, resilience, self-awareness, healthy selfishness, intrinsic motivation, strengths, um, like everything you need in order to self-actualize into your best self. So starting with that measurement, companies can start to measurably increase their missions. If you look at Facebook, let's just put them in, of course, social tech. So social tech is focused on you know community and high quality relationships. If they actually want to develop technology to strengthen relationships, they need to measure it. So they can mm-hmm. pull the high quality connection scale from the human potential index to measure the impact of their products. And then they can start to design features looking at the latest science to actually strengthen relationships with technology. And I can give you an example because I think this is Please, where yeah. this is where people struggle. It's like, how do we do this? How do we actually build technology that strengthens relationships? Yeah. And so if I look at the connections research and Jane Dutton, she's a leading researcher behind high quality connections. Go to highqualityconnections.com for any product person, R&D person who's working at social software, like that is your go-to place. Yeah. How do you strengthen relationships? So number one, measure it. Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter. I would say Twitter would probably want to measure civility um, and maybe also <laughs> high quality relationships. I'd start there. Uh, measure high quality let's, let's relationships. Let's just leave Clubhouse out of this for now, by the way. We'll <laughs> right. just leave them over there. They'll figure yeah. it out. <laughs> yes. So measure high quality relationships. And then looking at the latest science, there's this really interesting idea called virtual distance, which is this mm-hmm. emotional detachment that occurs when most of our interactions are mediated by screens. I think people are feeling mm-hmm. this a lot with the pandemic. So that's virtual distance. And then there's this idea of perceived proximity. So you can feel physically close to someone, like you can be in the same room with someone, but feel really distant from them. And mm-hmm. you can also be really physically distant from someone and also feel really close. So how do we increase perceived proximity through technology? How do we help people feel feel connected through tech. And we built a relationship building feature in 15.5. Of course, we're workplace software, but relationships are really, really important, especially between manager and employee when they start the role. And we looked at the New York Times article, you know, the 36 questions that lead to love, which was originally the research is actually helping strangers foster intimacy. It's, it's not between uh, two potential love interests. So the research shows that uh, mutual sharing and vulnerability and mutual self-disclosure, like sharing about yourself, that helps to, to strengthen relationships and questions. Questions open up a conversation um, and create space. So we created this question-based feature that really helps to increase intimacy and connection um, and vulnerability between manager and employee before they dive into their work, which creates psychological safety. We know high-quality relationships create psychological safety, which is the you know invisible fuel behind all high-performing teams. Um, so we can actually build this research into product features and then measure pre and post. And we're still thinking through how to do this really well and in a really easy way. But people before they hop into tech need to take this assessment, this this human potential index to gauge where they're at and then to see if the technology actually helps them strengthen what's central to their potential. 
I love all this. This is so exciting. Let's go into it more. So when you talk about this, the, the, this index, is this going to be, I imagine this is something that like a product team can build into the software and, and probably in some kind of survey form mm-hmm. where they're going to have sort of checkpoints throughout a user's journey. Is that, am I understanding that right? Yep. Definitely a survey. The shorter, the better. Usually a company can can choose probably one or two constructs related to their mission. So Asana, their workplace software, and their mission is all about group flow, individual and group mm-hmm. flow, helping teams mm-hmm. work together effortlessly so they can choose the constructs related to their mission. I would say psychological safety, because that's critical for teams, um, flow, and probably purpose uh, for them to measure those things and see if they're actually increasing those constructs through their software. So different softwares, whether it's workplace software, social software, education software, health and well-being software, can choose the constructs central to their mission that they want to measure. We can help leaders and CEOs measurably increase their missions. No, this is fantastic. And, and what I especially love about it for looking at this from a product lens, which is one of the first lenses I just tend to look through given my background and what I do, is one of the big conversations in the product world over the last couple of years is the shift towards outcomes-driven work rather than output-driven work. And what I love is that you're creating an outcome that people can steer by that is actually you know, promotes flourishing rather than steering by a proxy, right? And so, so many teams, especially in like the social software world, you know, their North Star is engagement, which can have real downsides. So I'm curious as you're, you know, whether it's internally at 15.5 or in some of the other companies you're doing sort of early testing with, what are some of those outcomes that are becoming North Stars and how are they, how are teams balancing these metrics versus the metrics that maybe they've been operating with and, and the tensions that come in there? Right now, companies are looking at user metrics and time spent on screens. So we need to provide an additional metric to look at, which is the psychological impact, which is what the human potential index does. When it comes to engagement and you know time spent on screens, what we did is we actually created a new definition of engagement. And I'm talking about workplace engagement, but of course, this goes to, to engagement at work and beyond. So we created a new definition of engagement that that we align our, our tech to. We define engaged employees as those who find work energizing, inspiring, and meaningful because they're leveraging their highest strengths, values, and passions. This is different than than workplace, than the way that most workplaces define engagement. So that's our North Star. When you come to work, are you energized? Are you inspired? Um, do you find work meaningful? And we're aligning our entire product to that. And what's interesting is there's this really unique paradox that's happening in the world at large. And if you take the long view of history, there's a progress paradox. And so if you take the long view, over time, things are getting a lot better, actually. We have increased life expectancy and literacy rates and access to education and healthcare. But subjectively, things are getting a lot worse. So you see an increase in depression and anxiety, especially for women. Mm -hmm. Women are twice as likely to be uh, depressed and anxious. And so that's really interesting. How are things objectively getting better? And I know we've taken a couple steps back with the pandemic, but still with the long view, things are getting better over time. And so what is going on there? And what's interesting is that the indicators of depression, low energy, lack of interest, lack of enjoyment, these are the same indicators of disengagement at work. When you're disengaged, low energy, lack of interest, lack of enjoyment. And what's fascinating is that 35% of the workplace is engaged, according to Gallup, but 50%, 50%, like 
it's actually 52%. More than half of the workplace is actually at neutral. So they're not mm. engaged and they're not disengaged. They're like just showing up. They're doing the minimum requirements, but will quickly leave for a better offer. And this is why we look to the latest positive psychology research, which is a science of thriving that promotes life above neutral in mm. order to shift the majority of the workplace and potentially the world if disengagement and depression are part two point uh, parts of the same coin, you know, life and work, mm-hmm. how do we shift people from a place of neutral to engagement? And of course, we look to positive psychology because positive psychology is a science of strengths and thriving. Mm-hmm. And the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, this is how we diagnose depression and anxiety and schizophrenia. And this is what most of psychology focused on in the past, which is um, helping miserable people become less miserable, as Marty Seligman would say. (laughs) But it's such a difference, right? Like, because it's like going, you know, the absence of suffering is not the same as the presence of flourishing. Yeah, exactly. So most of psychology helps you go from negative 10 up to zero. And so the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, you know, this is how we diagnose depression and anxiety and schizophrenia. And what Martin Seligman did, along with many others in the field of positive psychology, was that they created the opposite of the DSM, which is Mm. via values and action. And so it's a diagnostic of strengths. So it's not about disease, it's about ease. And it's not about disorder, it's about order in consciousness. And order in consciousness is strengths. And it's using your strengths in service of a larger purpose. And that's what Marty found. This is how you live the good life. Um, You need, it's a pleasant life, a meaningful full life. Um, you not only need to increase positive emotions, but you need to feel engaged with your life and engaged with what you do and really realign your your work and your life around your strengths. Not only your work, but your parenting, how you learn, really all, all parts of life uh, around your strengths. And then also the meaningful life, which is serving something larger than yourself. And that's how people are engaged. And we can, when bringing this back to, to positive technology, people need to be drawn to something more that's more impactful than social media. When Mm -hmm. you have purpose, that's where you're going to focus. And that's what we want. We want people to be engaged in life and focus on purpose and developing high quality relationships. And we can can help build that through technology. I was hoping you could walk me through an example or two of where viewing things and approaching approaching a product feature or overall product design from a from a positive product lens shifted what was happening. So could you, you know, like could you talk to me a little bit about, you know, here's what we were going to do, and then we looked at it from this way, here's what we saw and here's what changed? Yeah, it's a great question and I think examples are really important because this is what people want. What are really concrete examples of positive product design and positive technology? Um so I'll bring it back to 155 workplace software constructs that are really important for the workplace that sh- are shown to increase performance, um psychological safety. So psychological safety, the belief that the team is safe for interpersonal risk taking, a foundational construct uh for high performing teams. Um Amy Edmondson is is a key academic behind that. Oh yeah, construct. shout out to her. Episode number nine, we had her on the show. She's amazing. Amazing. Yes, she's amazing. Um, So number one, we want to measure that. And um, number two, we want to develop product features to actually increase psych safety in organizations. So imagine this. Imagine if workplace software measurably increased psychological safety in organizations. It'd be amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is what positive product design does. Positive product design looks to the latest science. There's so much science that hasn't been leveraged yet that people aren't just Mm -hmm. looking at. So the key here is to find something that's evidence-based and actionable. What's Mm -hmm. grounded in science and what science can you actually create from? and turn into a product feature. And so 
a lot. This is a really hard question. Adam Grant, mm. who is one of my professors at Penn, he asked this question to to a class of you know fifty master's students. How do you increase like safety in organizations? And the room was quiet. It's mm. it's a really it's a really hard question. And so there are a couple ways you can do it. And and this is our starting point. The first way is role clarity and clarity mm. of expectations. And this is a foundational need in organizations. Like only fifty percent of people know it's expected of them at work. Um, but we, mm. when you have role clarity and clarity of expectations, people feel safer to speak up. And I eventually wanted teach classes on how um, all organizations can create psychological safety through their, their technology. So and we're starting to see this at Apple, like asking permission to gather data. This is just clear expectations and giving people agency and personal choice. And that's a way to, to increase psych safety through tech at large. Um, and so what we did there and, and, you know, two years ago, I think that if you ask that question at our organization, a lot of people would say, I don't know how to increase psych safety. And now it's just a thing like mm. role clarity as a company we're like super doubled down on role clarity because like we know how important it is and we know this is what matters so we're, it's like a really big thing at 15.5 um, and now we're focused there and so we're building technology to increase role clarity in organizations and we're looking at other other ways to, to increase psych safety again i mentioned the feed forward interview which is looking at wins um, and what led to wins that helps increase psych safety in orgs high quality relationships and connections helps to increase psych safety at orgs so that's something that that people didn't really focus on before and now they do. And again, we're focusing on what matters. Yeah, no, this makes perfect sense. And and I think for the listener, it's you probably see why we're having this conversation. I remember when I, four or five years ago, I read Flourish, Seligman's latest book, and it was like one of those mind exploded. I was just like, oh my God, this is, this is exactly what I've been trying to, you know, find language for. And he, he had created that. So, and, and from that, you know, the idea of PERMA, um, which I'd love you to just touch on really briefly so people have that construct for framing this. Yeah. So PERMA is Martin Seligman's theory of well-being. Um, P stands for positive emotions. So we need to increase positive emotions. This is how you live a really good life. Um, e stands for engagement. So this is understanding your strengths, realigning your work around your strengths. R stands for relationships, high quality relationships. M is meaning. Do you have meaning and purpose in life? And A is accomplishment or achievement. Are you getting things done? Are you, are you contributing? I like to reframe achievement as impact and contribution. But those are the, the keys to a good life. And what's interesting is most of our technology right now is mimicking an outdated theory of motivation. So if you rewind, the philosophers were actually the first to ask what it means to live a good life. And then philosophy transformed into psychology. And this is a simplified uh, view of it, but we have Freud, who you know believes the unconscious <laughs> determines behavior, and he developed psychoanalysis. And then we have B.F. Skinner, who developed behaviorism, and whose behavior is determined by stimulus and response, by through you know punishment and reward. And a lot of our technology is mimicking that outdated or incomplete method from psychology. So we are we are actually motivating behavior, especially in social media apps right now, through punishment and reward. So if we can align our technology to the latest science, so then we can hop forward to Maslow and humanistic psychology who are like, hold up, like people are, <laughs> are motivated, um, are conscious, you know, and they're not just motivated unconsciously and they're not just motivated by stimulus and response or the environment. They're motivated intrinsically from mm. within people want agency and and control and freedom and people are motivated to grow into their best selves. So if we can look to the latest research and align our technology to the latest theories from psychology, humanistic psychology, positive psychology, transpersonal that honors freedom, agency 
choice, control, and that helps people live life above neutral and become Mm. engaged. That I think is how we can build positive technology. I mean, I love all the things that you're saying here, but one of the things that I've been wondering about, and it's come up in a bunch of conversations on the show is, you know, the show is called Make Things That Matter, right? And this idea of meaning, mattering, you know, on the one hand, these, this is a totally subjective thing. Everybody has their own things that matter to them. And sometimes they share those, sometimes they don't. But I'm just curious, based on like what you've studied and the research, what is it that makes something matter to people? Obviously, it's very personal. And that's what I think we want to do. I think we want to take an idiosyncratic approach to work um, and to life in general. And positive product design is about meeting people's needs. I think when we meet people's needs, they can really flourish into, into their best self, however they define that. And I think that we want to, you know, there's, there's fame and there's um, money is important, but it's not everything. And the human potential index, which is the most complete um, measurement of human potential and complete measure of human needs really helps people focus on what matters. So that measurement is so key and it's what we want to align all of technology to. So I would start there. And, you know, with this past year with the pandemic, the whole world focused on security needs. It's like if you mm-hmm. are, have health and vitality, if you're healthy and if you have financial well being and if you practice resilience, like you're set for this year. A lot of people mm-hmm. are struggling with those things. And those are the things that matter, right? now in this moment in time. And they will always matter. That's the thing is that this measurement and this method is a method for building forever tech. It's evergreen human potential technology because these things will always matter. These constructs will always matter. So at 15.5, yes, we build workplace software. We build software for, for HR teams. And in the end, in the long run, I really believe we're building human potential technology. I am so excited about all those things. Those are near and dear to my heart. Are you familiar with the Tugboat Institute? I don't know Tugboat. <laughs> okay. So this is I, this just got on my radar like a month and a half ago. So there is a guy, uh, a fantastic writer named Bo Burlingham, um, mm-hmm. who wrote a bunch of books. One of my favorites of all time is Small Giants. Um, but he also wrote uh, The Great Game of Business with Jack Stack, which sort of created the entire idea of like open book management and transparency in business. Long story short, he's massively impactful, at least on my thinking. And I interviewed him for the show recently. And the reason I bring this up is he's working on a new book and it's all about evergreen business. And so mm-hmm. I just thought there was like a really interesting, you know, merging of ideas here between, between what you're just describing of like evergreen tech that truly serves the long range of human needs and flourishing. And as you said, life above neutral. And how do we pair that? Like that's sort of to me. A, a product design methodology and an approach or a stance, how do we pair that up with company building designed for that long haul as well? And I think there might be something really interesting at that intersection. There is something very interesting there. And a new method for positive technology without a positive business model won't be sustainable. So mm-hmm. solving the, the business side is really, really important. And at 15.5, David Hassel, the CEO, he developed this philosophy that really creates a win-win between employee and business. And he says, stop managing performance directly and instead prioritize the keys to human potential and performance will naturally result. So he's creating a new model for positive business by proving from a business perspective that if you prioritize constructs like psych safety, intrinsic motivation, strengths, purpose, meaning, if you focus there, then performance is going to naturally result in your organization. So now because of this new business model and this new business philosophy, we are actually able able to prioritize these things from a business standpoint and the results will come naturally. So 
So positive product design does work in tandem with this philosophy, this management philosophy called best self management. And it's a really important dynamic. You know, you strike me as somebody who is living the deep engagement that you talk about, which is always so great to see, right? When you meet somebody who's who's truly walking the walk that they they are talking about. What do you think for you what are those strengths, values, and passions that you're channeling? Yes. Well, I have done a scientific um, deep dive into my top strengths. What I am passionate about, um, I, I am so passionate about supporting women and, and helping them really get their needs met and play where we are in a chess game and, and play this game really efficiently and effectively. Hmm. Um, so, and science can do that. Science is here to help. So, my journey is all about taking a very scientific approach to my potential um, to to get me to where I want to be really quickly. I don't think that people need to take you know ten years or you know fifteen years in order to um, discover who they are at their best. I think we can do this uh, more quickly and, and more strategically um, in a way that gives people control and uh, places them in their in an ideal environment. So I job crafted my ideal role really three years into my career, and that can happen. For people. Um, and so my top strengths are creativity, love of learning, curiosity. And that is what I do on a day to day basis. I learn um, and I read and I build product features out of the latest science um, to help science spread. And it's a new role in tech. Like there's not a lot of roles there. A lot of people don't have a director of people science. I did just learn that Hinge has a, a, a female led science team, which is amazing. And they are doing cool. similar work. So I'm so excited to highlight them. Um, but they're looking at the latest science and actually helping people, um, you know, find the right person and stay with them. They're building dating, dating software that's backed by the latest science, um, which is amazing. And so, yeah, I'm lucky and I worked really hard at identifying what only I can do, what only I can do best, because everyone has a unique set of strengths and talents and interests um, that that make them who they are um, and a unique purpose. So how can we help people find that uh, really quickly and intelligently so they can just start to really breathe and and have energy in life? No, I love that. And I agree. It's deeply, deeply important. The thing that I find myself wondering when I hear you say that is, you know, we talked a little bit about like discovering your values and your strengths earlier on. The idea of purpose is one of those things that I think is so important and we all deeply crave. I mean, it's a sort of an intrinsic need. I find that it's an area where people can really burn a lot of cycles, like can really spin their wheels for a long time. How do people find that what they're looking for there? but avoid taking forever, taking 10 years. Yeah, totally. And taking time is good. I think that's great. I think this is a journey, you know, and, then we, and we need to enjoy the journey. I'm not just about like pure efficiency, but I think that we need, the way that I've done it is becoming really attuned to what lights me up. Um, Tim Ferriss, he has that, a great blog article on like an, a past year review where you intentionally mm. look at all of, you look at your calendar, all of the people, all of the projects, all of the the work things, everything that gave you energy. And I do that every year. We're building this into our technology because it's a really strengths-based and energizing approach. So how can you look at that? This is a, a lifetime of self-discovery that happens, I really think, early on in life. A lot of people don't know what they want to do. So mm -hmm. I think if you can become really attuned to the things that give you energy, whether it's reading, I like deep work. Um, I'm like, 
you know, super introvert hermit. Like I would like to read, (laughs) you know, be with my books all day. And of course I collaborate and advise our product teams. Um, But really understanding the things that give you energy, the projects, the work, the people, the time of day and working to replicate that. This is a strengths-based approach to life. So in organizations, it's really great to focus on the problems and, you know, ask the five whys, you know, what led to that problem? That's great. And it's incomplete. There's another method called, it's called a feed forward interview actually. And it's all about looking at strengths and wins and then what led to those wins, the conditions. Mm. So Mm -hmm. you can replicate that. So Mm. in our technology, yes, we are helping people understand their top strengths. We're also helping people understand energizing work. We don't want people to just set, you know, uh, objectives and KPIs goals, which are important, but we want people to set intrinsically motivated goals that are Mm. aligned to their interests and are, are enjoyable. And that's how we align technology to the latest science like that is positive product design it's understanding where we're at and understanding the latest science and then closing the gap so it's just Mm -hmm. one example like a lot of you know workplace offers are building okrs and goal setting really important and what science does that align to objectives are goal setting software and that aligns to the science of intrinsic motivation so how can we infuse the science of intrinsic motivation into that workplace software objectives um, which again is a, is a method for goal setting, um, company goals, and then also department goals, individual goals. This aligns to purpose. So mm. in our tech, we can help infuse purpose into objectives and key results, which not a lot of companies are doing, but we know the impact and we know how important it is to align your individual purpose, your individual work to the company work and the company mission mm-hmm. and vision. So we're mm-hmm. working to bring that to life. I am so excited about this. And I, you know, again, when we first met, I was like, yes, I need to do anything I can to help this future be real. So I'm just thrilled about it. One of the things that I, I find myself wondering, and, and we'll shift gears here in a few minutes, but while we're on this topic, you know, we, you talked a minute ago about the idea of positive business and how business models, how positive product design really needs a supportive business and environment, business model worldview for it to happen. And I was curious to hear you talk a little bit more about that because one of the things that struck me was like, man, this is something A, deeply needed, 100% agreed on that. And I also find myself thinking about how do we deal with the structural challenges to this in many, for example, social software, right? Which is driven primarily by engagement-driven ad-based models. Facebook is a great example. You know, They have this real structural problem if they want to do this. How do we, how do we deal with that? How, what's your thinking there right now? And I don't know if I have all the answers, but I think that we need to give people choice. So, you know, Facebook has an ad-driven model and a lot of social platforms do 15.5 and a lot of workplace technologies don't, you know, subscription-based models are really important. Sure. If Facebook could provide the option for paid and not paid, I think that would that would do a lot. Um, a lot of people want free um, and are okay with it. And now with, you know, the social dilemma, the you know, cats out of the bag. The the problem mm-hmm. is really highlighted at a global level. People are aware of it, which is really important. And I just go back to choice and agency. So give people options because a lot mm. of people might want to stay on, um, you know, the free version with ads. Um, and then I think people would be willing to pay for a separate version. Um, so if, if they could do both, I think that'd be a great step. Yeah, no, it's a great idea. I think, and as you said, I mean, this is all early days for this new model, but I just think it's interesting to start to think about that now. If we can see that there's a structural impediment to doing this thing that we intend to do, you know, let's start at least start the conversation about how do we do this. And I think uh, there's definitely going to need, you know, business model innovation tends to happen slower than product innovation. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's worth just getting that ball rolling as soon as we can. Yeah. And I think that people are willing to, and we'd have to test this, but I think people are willing to pay premium for 
positive technology that actually works. You know, mm-hmm. if technology, there's a lot of tech out there that that's leaning in the in the positive way, but it has to be enjoyable and it has to be something that people are drawn to. So that's something that we're we're trying to work on at fifteen five. I'm suddenly reminded of uh, Near AL's work with Hooked and Indistractable, right? It's like, well, what if we built things that weren't just addictive, but were actually good for you? You know, like a positive, I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to say a positive addiction, but positively engaging. Yeah. And that's why part of uh, one of the key tenets of positive product design is to uh, maximize quality of screen time, not quantity. Um, so part of 15.5, we have like this amazing check-in feature and it's all about strengthening relationships. And you use technology in order to make the one-on-one time really effective. Mm. So, so technology serves the individual, the employee and the manager. So when they're, you know, one-on-one, whether it's on Zoom or not, that conversation time is really effective. So that's a different way of looking. We're not trying to solve all the problems through the technology itself, um, but we're using technology to help leading science spread, to help people focus on things that matter, and then to actually help them get off the tech. And Hinge, again, I'm like really obsessed with Hinge right now. The you know female-led science team love it. And their slogan is is to like delete the app. Like we want you to yep. find the right person so you can delete the app. Like how awesome is that? I think if more as more companies and, and teams start to think that way, it's gonna really start to shift things. So I want to start to shift gears here and close out the conversation with some rapid fire questions. They're short questions. Your answers don't have to be. I often find that these lead to interesting stories and things like that. So take it wherever you want to take it. So the first one that I always love to ask people is what thing do you know best? Hmm. I score very high on intrapersonal intelligence, which is self-awareness. So Mm. I think I know myself best. That is a very good answer. And I think one that many people (laughs) would wish they could give. That's terrific. For people who don't score that high on it, how can people improve that? Yes, it's a practice um, and it's something that can, you know, develop and it's something that I've practiced um, deeply. So mm-hmm. self-awareness, this is again a construct part of human potential that we want to increase through software. So feeling identification and granular feeling identification. So the ability to identify your emotions or the ability to um, distinguish between two similar emotions is a practice. Mm-hmm. And it's so critical to to self-compassion, to nonviolent communication. It's really the first step in a lot of these conscious practices. And just imagine if you know our leaders and our tech leaders were more self-aware and could practice these things. And we're actually trying to build that. We, we are building this into 15.5. We have a request feedback feature that um, helps people learn nonviolent communication. Um, mm. So we can actually help people practice uh, compassionate communication through technology. The self-awareness question, I would, I'd, I'd really come back to feeling identification because it's such an important mm. practice. Yeah. And actually, I just want to suggest a resource that I found personally really, really helpful last year. I was thinking a lot about this exact question of, you know, understanding my myself better, my emotions better. And there's a book that I found super useful. I don't know if you're familiar. It's called Permission to Feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're, they're, um, are you familiar with like the ruler model in there? I don't know. I haven't read it yet, but I'm eager to. The gist of it is, um, oh man, see if I can do this on off the cuff. Uh, ruler was, uh, it's an acronym, stands for recognize, understand, label, express, and I want to say regulate is the last one. And it's sort of this five-step process that they teach. I think they originally started teaching this to kids in school, which is awesome. Like, you know, at kindergarten level. But it's something that I think we all can benefit from is if you can understand those nuances of emotion and what's the distinction between being morose and being sad, for example, or being frustrated and angry or joyful and content or or whatever. Um, So I just wanted to suggest that as a resource that I found super, super useful. And in particular, I'm going to also give a shout out to this app that they created. There we go. It's on my phone called Mood Meter, which helps you on the fly uh, identify 
what am I actually feeling right now? So I just wanted to throw that out there as a resource that people can check out. Yeah, I love that. And there's this also, uh, there's this amazing resource from the School of Transformation. If you just Google them, um, they have a feelings chart that I use like on a daily basis. Oh, cool. And on the left side are, you know, all negative feelings. And on the right side are all, you know, positive feelings because it's really important to identify positive emotions as well. And on the left side, the negative feelings, that's just an indicator of a need not being met. When your needs, when our needs aren't met, we experience negative emotions. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And when our needs are met, we experience positive emotions. It's really important. Big thing that helped me start to do this last year, uh, and I'll just throw this out there in case it helps somebody else, was to understand that there are no bad emotions. There's just information. Yeah. Exactly. Right? They're all they're all just signals. And if I could say, oh, like I'm angry. Why why do I why do I feel angry? Like what what need isn't met? What boundary has been violated? What you know whatever? I found that to be very a useful reframe, basically. Marty Seligman would agree. He says this that sadness and anger these are really really important emotions. It's just that they become destructive when they're chronic. Um, mm. So if we can use them um, as a signal to to change and to get our needs met and to act and to um, have you know uh, thinking patterns that help us act in a positive way um, and give us permission and give us agency and control over what we're thinking. Yeah, really important. It also reminds me of a book. Um, I have a feeling you and I are going to nerd out about books. But two two other books that came to mind uh, listening to you talk just now, and I'm curious if, if these are ones that you've encountered as well, is um, The Upside of Your Dark Side and um, Designing Your Life from the Stanford folks. Yes, haven't read the first one. The second one, Obsessed With. I saw um, both of them speak uh in San Francisco. And we, I have used Designing Your Life. I recommend it to so many people, especially since a lot of my work is about work and helping people you know, become their best selves in the workplace. Um, and they take a design thinking approach. And it's, I just can't recommend that book enough. And we are building that into technology. We're going to help that, that book spread. Great. Yeah. The, when you were talking earlier about, you know, pay attention to what lights you up. I was like, oh, that reminds me of that exercise in designing your life where they, uh, I can't remember what they call it in there, but it's that using that as your compass, basically of like, oh, I really like it when I have conversations like this or I research or, you know, whatever. Exactly. Very cool. Next question. What, what is a quote or saying a phrase that's important to you that you re- return to often? And what about it speaks to you? I did a, a class with Brene Brown in 2012 and it was really transformative to me. And she actually has you create your own quotes and, and something something that you live by. And oh, neat. yeah, my top two personal values are integrity and excellence. And my value that I live by is that integrity always wins. Um mm. And, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to create positive product design because every step of the way has to be high integrity with this. And so that's my quote. I like it. When you say integrity, what, what does that mean to you? Integrity. Oh, it's a big word. I, I think integrity is about um, sticking to your word. It's about um, having a really strong moral compass. And it's about making making really good decisions. You know, work and life is it's just a series of decisions. Um, mm. And if we if the small decisions are of really high integrity and of excellence, I think we're going to get to where we want to go. Yeah, the little things are the big things. Mm-hmm. Well, respect. So I'm curious. You know, everybody I talk to has had someone in their life who really shaped their trajectory, and that might be like since they were five. That might be in the last couple of years. Um, but I'm curious who who's somebody like that for you, and what did what did you learn from them? I have the most amazing career coach. I, I'm not going to say her name to protect her anonymity, but I have just a jetpack of females behind me. I think that. We are shifting into a new paradigm that that's female led, 
And all of these constructs that we're talking about, like psych safety, you know, high quality relationships, self-awareness, these are, these are more feminine feeling words and constructs that are really being prioritized in the workplace um, and in the, in the larger world. And so I do see this shift into the feminine and she has been at my back, um, this, this amazing person. And she's, what I love about her is there's zero bullshit. Like she is the most, the, the sharpest straight shooter I've ever met. And, and that goes with integrity. Just like my days are really good. If I set boundaries that get my needs met and also keep the other person whole. So when I can do that and practice that muscle, like that's what I consider a good day. Um, Mm. and I have a lot of those days and, and it's because of her. I literally spend most of my coaching sessions working with her focused on how to communicate in a compassionate way um, to get my needs met and then also to keep the other person whole. And that's how that's how positive product design has been birthed. That's awesome. You know, it's funny, the, the topic of boundaries has come up a lot lately in conversations. How do you how do you do that? Like personally, how do you approach setting boundaries in a healthy, mutually constructive way? Yeah, Brene Brown, she, I feel like she brought boundaries to light, you know, through her book, The Gifts of Imperfection. If I had to mm. gift any book, it would be that book. Awesome. Um, if I had to write a book for women on how to succeed in the workplace, I wouldn't need to write a book. All I would have is a cover that says boundaries. And so I practice nonviolent communication a lot. It is a practice. I, I, you know, did six years of therapy to, to practice self-compassion with myself and then with others. And it's a formula. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, naming your need and naming your feeling or first identifying your feeling and then your need. And what's interesting is that so much of this is about relational energy. So Mm -hmm. yes, it's about what you say, which is where the nonviolent communication comes in in those steps, but it's really about how you say it. And this is true in leadership and high performance as well. Um, What you say is really important, but how you say it, the relational energy and how you show up, that's what's really, really critical. Um, And if you can have certain practices like assuming positive intent, practicing nonviolent communication with zero expectations. I practice nonviolent communication and set boundaries because it's something that I want to flex. It's a muscle that I want to flex. I don't have any expectations on the other side. I just mm. know that this is a really important practice for me that I want to to leverage and and who knows what's going to happen. Uh, but it's it's really self-serving actually, self-serving in order to serve the relationship. Right? You have to take care of your needs first and and then you can also be available to help other people. That's fantastic. Thanks for modeling that. What is a question you would have the listener start asking themselves on a regular basis, right? I find that our lives are shaped by the questions we ask implicitly or explicitly. So I'm curious if there's a question you would tee up for people. Yes. Questions are so important. They open the conversation. I think we are at an energy deficit right now. I think people are really burned out at work, even high-performing organizations, people are burned out. And I think people are burned out in the world at large. So Mm. I would ask what gives you energy and to really zoom in and and do a deep dive into that and understand the conditions, the people, what you're doing. Cause life is about energy. I'd rather live a short life with a lot of energy than a really long life, you know, really depleted all the time. So yep. for, for me, the focus is, is energy and diving deep and replicating that. How can you do more of that in life and how can you make that expand? That is fantastic. Here's a question that's a bit random. What is a small change you've made in recent memory? And that could be a week, that could be a year, whatever. But what's a small change that you've made that you think has had an outsized impact, positive impact for you? Yeah, I'll keep it simple. I got a chili pad, which I've heard about for a long time. And it's that, oh, yeah. How yeah, is that it's thing? 
It's amazing. It's that cooling pad. I'm super sensitive. I'm super sensitive to light and sound and heat and everything. And sleep is such a, you know, foundational need. Um, yeah. And I think it's amazing. And I tend to sleep really warm. So it's incredible. And if my if my sleep is good and if my, my eating is good, then, you know, everything else falls into place. Hundred percent. I'm so glad you said that because I uh, I also have I had a ton of sleep issues and I only re- like I had like a year and a half of insomnia and I just want to say for anybody who's listening and has like struggled with insomnia, a get the chili pad thing if you you know look into this read Matthew Walker but um, specifically just I want to say this because it was so helpful cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia CBTI shockingly effective involves no drugs or medicine or anything like that and it it cured my insomnia and it's incredible. So for anyone who's struggling with that, please do yourself a favor and beat a path to the nearest facilitator you can find for that. That's amazing. I did not know about that. And that's incredible. Aaron Beck, he actually has recently released, he's a, the creator of CBT. Um, mm. He's releasing a more whole person approach to it and pulling from Scott Barry Kaufman's work. Um, oh, awesome. Yeah. So that's, that's cool. Yeah, no, CBTI, I, I don't, it was developed, I think, at Harvard over a pretty long period of time, but it's become, I think, I mean, they've studied the heck out of this thing now. And I think every, every meta analysis out there has found it to be like so much more effective than any sleeping pill or anything that it's, it's considered the frontline treatment now for any, any form of insomnia. So, wow. um, highly recommended the book. What is the book? Um, really good book that people can check out called, uh, is what my sleep doctor gave me. It's called Say Goodnight to Insomnia. Um, and it's basically CBT I put into a book, but it's also, so start there if you will need that. And then if you, if you can find a facilitator, cause there's not that many out there, unfortunately, um, highly recommend doing it. I, I did it through uh, UCLA. So cool. I guess my last question here, you know, I love to give people handles on, on concepts to really put them into action. So we're, we've talked about, we covered a lot of ground in this conversation, which is fantastic. And I'm so excited for you to bring this into the world and for people to get their hands on it. But just as a starting point for people, if people could make, I'm going to do that really annoying thing where if people could make just one change, what would be the highest leverage change they could make to affect these ideas and put them into play? I am going to go back to a very true positive psychology concept, which is gratitude. Um, which, and, and when I say it, it sounds cheesy and it sounds, you know, the, what's interesting is this is a practice. And I've, you know, I was a heavy smoker for like eight years. I've quit smoking. Um, and Good for I, you. thank you. I still haven't nailed down the, the gratitude practice, but it's mm. so important. And based off of the psychology research, people who, who have a strong gratitude practice are, are less depressed six months later than those who don't. Um, especially since women are, are more likely to be, to be depressed than men. I think that gratitude is the most important practice. One of the most important practices that you can create. And in order to really create a habit here, um, Practices have to be enjoyable. Um, mm. So, however you practice gratitude, whether that's you know through photos or video um, or writing things down, writing three good things every day and expanding out into what went well is so important. Yeah, I love that. I, I think that's a, such a wonderful suggestion. So, Courtney, first of all, thank you for what you're doing for the work you're doing. I just mad respect uh, for what you're up to. I love it. And I'm a huge fan. Count me on your team in any way I can be helpful to you. What would you like to leave the listener with? I want to leave the listener with um, the latest theory that Marty Seligman is working on, which is agency, progress. It's progress through human agency. And I want people to leave 
feeling empowered that they have control and that there are people in tech who want them to have agency and control. And agency is the key to, to human progress and we need people to feel it. Awesome. Well, Courtney, where, uh, where can people follow your work and connect with you more if they want to take some action after this conversation? Yep. Hop on to positiveproductdesign.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Courtney Bigany. Follow me on LinkedIn um, and sign up because we're going to be releasing the Human Potential Index and the guide by the end of the year. All right. Very exciting. Cannot wait to see it. So Courtney, thanks again for what you're doing. And thanks so much for being here. Real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, I'd be so grateful if you could do me a favor and take about 25 seconds to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps me reach way more listeners, and it also helps me bring you more great guests. As always, please feel free to reach out to me anytime at connect at makethingsthatmatter.com. And until next time, my friends, leave them better than you found them. See you out there.